I'm delighted now to welcome our fireside chat. We're going to do a slight, quick um, set change, just pull some chairs back. Um, but I had asked for real fire, since fireside chat, everywhere I go, there never really is fire. They told me <laughs> I could have uh, fake fire. So, um, but then I realized fireside chats are really actually about having plain-spoken policy conversations in front of a radio from back in the 30s. But we can dispense with all visuals and actually just get into that plain talk conversation. So Chairman Hood, would you please join me on the stage? Good morning. It's great to see you. Thank you so much for coming. <laughs> Thank so, you for having me. Delighted to have you with us. You've been on the job now for what? Uh, Nine of, weeks. Nine weeks. <laughs> <laughs> That's wonderful. So it's been a bit of a, a, a fast-paced uh, uh, nine weeks, right? It's been a fast-paced nine weeks where I've had the pleasure of really helping get to know a lot of my colleagues at the National Credit Unit Administration, mm -hmm. but at the same time looking to see what we can do to oversee the safety and soundness of the country's 5,300 credit unions yeah. serving a third of Americans. Could you talk a little bit about credit unions? We've talked a lot already today about banks mm -hmm. and even some other alternative financial mechanisms, but yeah, what is the landscape for credit unions today? Well, let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, first again, thank you for allowing me to come and talk about an area that's really near and dear to, dear to my heart, and that is financial inclusion of underserved communities. The landscape for credit unions has never been stronger. Uh, as the credit union celebrates its 85th year of its existence uh, through the Federal Credit Union Charter, um, there are now 5,300 credit unions serving a third of Americans with assets of over a trillion dollars, actually 1.5 trillion. Of that 1.5 trillion, Lydia, 1 trillion of that has already been dispersed in loans, loans for cars, homes, and businesses. I'm proud to say that they are doing well, but I also am proud to say that helping me in my mission of safety and soundness are the wonderful career professionals that work alongside me at NCUA. We have 1,100 folks who I think are some of the best and brightest in government helping me, helping me with the mission. Mm -hmm. And for those who may not know a lot about credit unions and their structure, a little different than banks, credit unions are democratically, little d, control cooperatives. That means that the members of the credit unions actually have an ownership stake. That means that whether you have a $200 account or a $200,000 account, you get one vote to determine who gets to serve on your board. The boards are comprised by the members of those credit unions. They get a chance because of their tax-exempt status. Credit unions are able to offer affordable rates of their products, and that means that they're able to really, again, bring more people into the economic mainstream. So to answer your question, very strong system today. That's great. Now, a lot of folks say that uh, financial inclusion is almost just like a part of the underlying model of credit unions. Can you talk to that a little I bit? I can talk a little bit about that. Uh, credit unions, you know, were created right after the Great Depression, 1935, and Franklin Delano Roosevelt uh, signed the enabling legislation for the Federal Credit Union Act. It was designed because there were people at the time who could not get access to credit. So these were individuals that took matters into their hands and they created their own credit unions. They were able to not only get the loans that they needed to get home loans and business loans and car loans, but they were also able to be a part of those democratically controlled institutions I mentioned earlier. They were able to control their destiny mm -hmm. by creating institutions for the future. Okay. And those ex institutions still exist today, many of them. Mm -hmm. I want to talk a little bit, we're going to get into sort of some of the changes mm -hmm. um, happening with technology and innovation, but but before we do that, I'd be curious, what is your regulatory approach? You're a new regulator at the agency, um, at the administration. Wh what is your regulatory approach? My regulatory approach is pretty simple, ladies and gentlemen. It is regulation needs to be effective, 
but not excessive. I haven't been in financial services for well over 28 years now. I recognize that burdensome regulations can sometimes prevent institutions from fulfilling their mission and using the resources that they would like to use for lending and product development, they end up being used to comply with burdensome regulations. Now, of course, I am not at all gonna sacrifice safety and soundness, but I do realize that we need guardrails, but we also need an effective regulatory agenda that allows the credit unions to fully serve their members. I'm proud that I get to work with an agency where every three years, NCUA reviews a third of its regulations, such that in every three-year cycle, we can determine which regulations are needed, which ones are no longer necessary, so that we, again, can reduce that burden. Mm -hmm. So um, getting back to technology and innovation, how are credit, in, um, credit unions interacting with a lot of the fintech space out there? How are they adapting to technological change? And is it enabling them to bring more people into the financial system? It is enabling them. In fact, I am a huge proponent of credit unions being more involved with financial innovation. But with those technological advances also come challenges. So again, my role is to see how can I ensure safety and soundness while at the same time embracing new technology. Given the, the quest I have for financial inclusion, I'm delighted to know that we do have credit unions that are using digital technology to reach the underserved. I was especially pleased with the survey that I saw. I know you had Yellen at Williams here earlier. I was delighted to see her recent survey that about 50% of folks with phones, um, who are basically 50, people who are underserved, all have mobile phones. And according to the technology, they are the ones that we think we can most bring into the financial system. So more than 50% of credit unions are using remote deposit capture. Many of them are using it for financial literacy. They are also, you all, given the cooperative nature of credit unions. What I like about the system, a credit union may devise a technique, and then they will share it with other credit unions in the mix, meaning that they are sharing those resources. So we have a credit union in Houston that was able to come up with a disaster recovery app where rather than hoard it to themselves, they were able to share it through the network so other folks can use this technology. So those are just a few of the examples of how credit unions are working more actively in the financial innovation space. Mm -hmm. I, as a regulator, want to make sure that I'm creating a framework where other credit unions can be equally as engaged. I certainly don't want to hamper it. I want to encourage it. Mm -hmm. That's great. Now, a lot of times um, when we think of financial inclusion, we are mostly thinking of uh, many times minorities, those of lower incomes, but you also make an emphasis to focus on um, many of our disabled uh, members of society are ones that also are sometimes not fully incorporated in the financial system. Yes, Lydia, that is a good point. I have spent a bit of time over the past few years working. When we look at, uh, we, when we look at financial inclusion, Many tend not to look at it holistically. Of course, we look at low to moderate income, we've looked at ethnic minorities, but there is another group of individuals, and those are the disabled, where more than 45% of people with disabilities lack a financial access to an account, whether it be a checking or savings account. Many have not really had a lot of exposure, so I was really pleased over the recent years to work with groups such as the National Disability Institute and Respectability to convene financial inclusion summits and looking at opportunities to bring those with disabilities into the mainstream. Mm -hmm. That's really good. So um, we also have been talking a bit about some of the regulatory challenges. What do you see as some of the, the regulatory challenges that are facing credit unions? And are there regulations that are perhaps hindering their ability to uh, serve more 
uh, people in the economy. I think one example I bring up with the banking sector, and this was touched on in the previous panel, is the Bank Secrecy Act and the level of um, uh, regulation and the cost of compliance with that act is very, in the AML, anti-money laundering laws and know your customer laws, um, while a very laudable goal for safety and national security, um, as implemented, it seems to be incredibly onerous and banks reported as being the highest cost, um, compliance cost, which prevents them from opening especially small dollar accounts um, and issuing small dollar loans because it's so costly to service those accounts. Can you talk, are there issues like that that face credit unions as well? There are indeed issues such as that. And again, Bank Secrecy Act, while that doesn't rest within my purview at NCUA, I do look at that issue in collaboration with some of the other financial regulatory agencies. In fact, I have a B BSA briefing next week with folks at Treasury. Mm -hmm. So BSA, again, to your point, I do want to keep the American homeland safe, but we need to look for opportunities so that people can be engaged with small dollar lending with some of the deposit accounts, because you're right, it is a bit burdensome and onerous. Mm -hmm. But while I can't control BSA, and we're going to leave that to Treasury and the folks at FinCEN, the things, though, to answer your question, that we would need a regulatory fix or maybe a congressional fix. When I talk about credit unions making access to capital available, one area that we would really want to have help is around business lending. As much as credit unions want to help spur economic growth and development, they can't do so. Credit unions can only lend up to 12.25% of their net worth when it comes to making business loans available. So an area that we could look for a congressional fix would hopefully be with that area. Another area, when uh, Diego, I don't know if he's still here, but looking at some of the slides that he presented, I know he looked specifically at Washington, D.C., but looking at low to moderate income communities, credit unions, again, though equipped and poised to serve vulnerable low to moderate income communities, they can't do so because of their chartering. That means they cannot adopt an underserved low to moderate income area without a congressional fix. So those are just two of the things that if we could get credit unions able to make more business loans, and adopt underserved areas, perhaps those areas would no longer be underserved. Gotcha. Referring back to some of you's work on the credit, the, the Community Reinvestment Act, there are some calls for having credit unions in, be incorporated within the CRA. I think there have been some, some legislation proposed and even some legislation modified to, car, to, to no longer um, uh, try to subject credit unions to CRA. Can you talk a little bit about how credit unions interact with CRA or should or should not, and um, how you guys might be going about achieving those goals of the CRA without necessarily being subject to it? That's a really good question, and one that I have gotten before. Well, first and foremost, ladies and gentlemen, when I answer the question about CRA, this comes to you as an erstwhile CRA officer for a Wall Street firm. So early in my career, I had a chance to be a Community Reinvestment Act officer, so certainly love the tenets of it, love the work that it was designed to do, but let's not forget Credit unions do not need CRA for them to do the things that I just enunciated. They're already making loans to people of modest means. Credit unions are already making mortgages available. They're doing it at affordable rates. They're providing investment services. CRA was a punitive measure, again, going back to Diego's presentation where banks were redlining. They were taking deposits from areas and not reinvesting in them. I do not believe that credit unions need to have a punitive measure uh, designed for them when they are already showing that they are living up to that ethos of people helping people. So 
I think credit unions don't need to have me telling them to do the investment test, the service test, or the lending test because, ladies and gentlemen, they're doing it on their own volition. And if there's anything I would encourage credit unions to do is for them to tell their story more effectively. We also, Lydia, at the NCUA, we have a group of people from Credit Union Resource Expansion. These are the folks that are making loans available for our small um, minority deposit related uh, credit unions. We have about 2,300 credit unions that characterize themselves as low uh, income designated. That means that they, by their mission, have decided that they want to have that low income designation. Mm -hmm. Over 540 are minority depositories, meaning that they want to serve a minority base. And then we have CDFI certified credit unions. They, again, I'm pleased to say are doing that without any um, motivation for me. They're doing it on their own accord. So, so markets can provide? Markets can provide. It's a free market solution. <laughs> That's great. Um, there is, um, I'd like to know a little bit more about what is sort of your regulatory agenda as you have newly taken over the helm there, and what are the things that you're hoping to bring to the fore throughout your chairmanship? Great. Well, another thing as I now approach my ninth week, week I certainly, you all, care passionately about cybersecurity. Uh, at my first FSOC meeting a few weeks ago, I was asked... Financial Stability Oversight financial Council. Financial Stability, I know. For welcome to Alphabet. In DC. <laughs> I forgot, we have so many folks that are visiting. Yes, the Financial Stabilization Oversight Committee. One of the first questions I asked was, well, not asked, but I shared with my colleagues, cybersecurity is what keeps me up at night. Mm -hmm. One of the things, you all, that I want to do as I uh, maintain, uh, as I'm an active chairman of the NCUA, is to make sure that we are building an infrastructure to protect our 5,300 credit unions from cyber attacks, to make sure that the data of those 117 million people that we're holding it safe. So I want to make sure that there's going to be more coming out of the chairman's office around cybersecurity. Another area, you all, that I want to work on is I try to really create a, a safe regulatory environment for credit unions. I want to make sure that they are continuing to, to look at innovation and fintech. So I'm glad, again, about today that you're looking at these issues. But again, giving them a regulatory framework that doesn't hamper, but that encourages them to move forward. I want to continue to make sure that we're getting best ideas and best practices. So you you'll hear more about innovation coming from the chairman's office. And then another piece, we cannot ignore the demographic shifts that are taking place in the United States, meaning by the year 2022, or no, in the next 22 years, that is, America is going to be more minority than majority. And with that being said, I want to make sure that there is an infrastructure for people who are minorities to be a part of the economic mainstream, that work that credit unions are doing today, I think, can lay the groundwork for the future. But just as we are looking forward to make sure people are participating in the mainstream, where they need to have jobs to do so. So I want to make sure that agencies such as mine and others are looking to cultivate opportunities for, for minority and diverse candidates to pursue careers, not only in financial services, but hopefully at agencies such as mine. Mm -hmm. And then another area, when we look at the low unemployment rates that are existing today, ladies and gentlemen, there are opportunities for people who are underemployed to take a part uh, in viable jobs. I certainly am proud that the administration recently reached a bipartisan support to pass the First Step Act. One of my initial um, opportunities within my first month on the job was to work with my fellow board members to sign a waiver for a young lady who had had a criminal offense many years ago who had not been able to participate in the mainstream um, economy, or at least in terms of getting a job at a federally insured institution. Well, because she had paid her debt to society, she was able to now, through our waiver program, get a job, or at least now be eligible to get a job 
at a federally insured credit union. That means someone who was underemployed will now have a second chance to have gainful employment. Mm -hmm. And I would like to think, Lydia, get a new opportunity for shared prosperity. So those are the types of things that I will champion mm -hmm. as chairman, but never at all sacrificing safety and soundness. That's great. I'm going to have to mention to our criminal justice project folks about this work because they're doing a lot to help uh, deal with some of the challenges in that area and how people follow up. Um, yeah, move to more gainful employment. Exactly. That's great. Um, I'm going to open it up. We have a little bit of time for some questions. Um, and so I'll open it up and we can take a couple of questions at a time. I see one gentleman here and another gentleman there. So uh, we'll take this gentleman first because the mic got to him first. And then we'll take the other gentleman. If you could raise your hand again so that mic can go to you. Danny, could you take the mic back to the other gentleman back there? Yes. So we'll start with you, sir. Uh, Dan Gordon with the Federal Reserve Board. I, I want to ask some questions about the um, payday alternative loan product that the NCUA has for its, uh, for its uh, member institutions. Um, it's a product that um, allows institutions to charge an interest rate 1,000 basis points above your statutory limit and also to have fees. Yet only about 10% of your institutions actually offer that product, which suggests that for 90% of their institutions, they don't think that there's a marriage between the needs of the, of the customers and the, and the credit unions themselves. Um, mm -hmm. You sent out a, um, a request for uh, um, uh, a PAL tube, your predecessor, <laughs> for a PAL tube, um, and uh, there was a, a notice of rulemaking, but potential rulemaking, and that seems to have stalled. Can you tell us where that status is? Well, in the eight weeks that I've been there, I can tell you that is top of mind because, ladies and gentlemen, I do believe that we need low-dollar loan products to help folks uh, meet their financial needs. So I definitely see a need of having alternatives to payday loans. Um, I am working with our agency staff and my fellow board members to see what we can do. I can't give you a time frame of when, but it is definitely top of mind because those needs exist. If we don't provide those types of products in the credit union system or even the bank system, we know that there are pernicious providers of credit out there who are willing to fill that void. And I would rather have regulated institutions provide alternatives to payday loans. So to answer your question, it's on my agenda. Um, I am able to say that while you've seen, you've cited few institutions that are using the product to date, I can say that $36 million in alternative payday loans have been made uh, throughout the first quarter of this year. So there is a need that's being met with them. And I just want to make sure that we are, when we roll out our next product, that it's going to be holistic. We're going to, in fact, I spent time talking to folks such as Center for Responsible Lending. I've talked to folks such as Cities for Financial Empowerment. So I'm talking, ladies and gentlemen, to stakeholders. We can help us design a product that's going to be tailored to meet the needs of underserved borrowers, while at the same time, I'm joining it safely and soundly. But there, there is going to be more movement to come afoot. So thank you. And from a Cato perspective, we're really grateful for there being lots of type, different types of products in the small dollar loan space to help serve community exactly. needs. I think um, the gentleman there. Hello? Okay. I hear you. <laughs> Hi, Chairman. Um, Good morning. Could you uh, talk a little bit about, uh, I guess, help me understand the difference between uh, for-profit banks and the not-for-profit uh, credit unions? What is it that's prohibited them to, like, because it seems like from a uh, shareholders go, or equity holders go to a bank because they want, you know, a, a decent return. And so, like, let, this is a good way to invest their money. What, why is it that when I'm a, a member of a federal credit union, uh, I, why is it that I get a tax-exempt status? Like, what is it that's prevented from these uh, credit unions that make them, like, what, yeah, talk a little bit more about well, that. Well, it was just in the enabling legislation, sir. So when credit unions were created, they were created specifically uh, to be not-for-profit cooperative models of 
providing financial services. So when they were created, um, because of that tax exempt status, the thing that they are able to do, unlike their other financial services providers, is they, because they don't have the for-profit concerns, of course, we want them to operate viably and sustainably, but beyond that, they're able to offer lower rates uh, on their mortgages and business loans and auto loans, and then they're able to pay a higher rate on some of the deposit products. So it's the legislation that was designed that gave them that tax exemption, and I like to say that they're earning that tax exemption every day when they pass on those affordable rates uh, to their members. And again, one of the things that I really like is they are controlled and owned and operated by those members. So I, I often refer to them as member owners. Mm. We have time for one more question, if we have one more in the audience. Yes, sir. Back there. And if we could get to him quickly so that we have, you're going to have to have a short question and a short answer. OK. <laughs> Exercising that regulator. <laughs> Just following up on that last question. Uh, what regulation, there seem, you seem to have alluded to some uh, powers that you do not have that Congress could give to you, would you be willing to give up tax exemption to obtain those powers? In other, it, and I might suggest also that there are many mutual, mutually owned organizations that are taxable. Mm -hmm. Well, Thank you. Savings Thank banks, you. mutual insurance companies. Mm -hmm. so, well, since I only can control the financial regulation of credit unions, I don't really talk about tax matters or those issues would really rest within Congress if they want to address uh, the tax status of credit unions. But right now, I'm focusing on safety and soundness of 5,300 institutions. Mm -hmm. Great. Thank you so much, Chairman Hood. Really appreciate you Thank being you. with us today. Thank, Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Um,